The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Will Wall Street's march higher keep going today after a Monday pause? Futures, they are flat right now. We're going to hear what one of the heads of Wall Street's biggest banks has to say about the Federal Reserve's rate hike playbook ahead. A human story, the search for survivors continuing across Kentucky, Mississippi, and four other states after those record-breaking storms this past weekend. We are live on the ground with the latest on the recovery efforts. Banking on a tourism rebound, Hard Rock making a $1 billion bet on Las Vegas with a deal with MGM. Big day for Elon Musk, but not in all the best ways. The shares of Tesla look like they need a bit of a recharge. And Apple inching closer to a $3 trillion valuation. While your next guest says the stock's tailwinds are simply too strong to ignore. It is all happening on this Tuesday, December 14th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on this Tuesday morning. And let's get right to it and get a check on the markets and your money and how they are setting up their day and futures right now. And eh, they're not giving us a whole lot of help about which way they want to go. We are down just a touch. We were higher a little bit earlier, but at this hour, the volume of futures trading, very, very thin. You got literally one trade can change the direction of where we go. Not worthless, but they don't give you a whole lot of help. Either way, we are in the red right now. The markets could not hold on to gains yesterday. Remember, we were higher this morning, this time yesterday, and then the markets fell. Although they fell, eh, they still held up pretty well overall, considering all the Omicron headlines. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson kind of freaking everybody out with his comments about the latest strain in his mind. And keep in mind that the Dow and the S&P 500, despite yesterday, are still higher this month. The NASDAQ is down a touch, but context and a broader picture is key. Those indexes are still higher coming in to yesterday morning, which way we go the next few days. Well, you got to stay tuned to find out. Let's also check oil, which fell on Monday as well. Oil is actually moving a little bit higher right now. Some optimism about the, well, I see I stand corrected. Basically, everything I say, I'm like George Costanza, just do the opposite. Oil is actually lower right now by three-tenths of 1%. So I'm nervously going to say what's happening with crypto because crypto was mildly higher about 10 minutes ago, even though down below 48000 for Bitcoin. Okay, so that, that's actually still happening. Bitcoin is up a few tenths right now, but still, again, below 48000 Ethereum is below 4000 as well. So the major coins are well below where they were just about one month ago. All right, let's find out what's happening in Europe with their trade and their headlines. Karen Cho is in our London newsroom with the early trade and what is kind of looking like a tie-up Tuesday. And Karen, kind of looks like from your big wall there, it's 
It's about the same as us. Kind of hard to figure out exactly any kind of a trend right now. Yeah, Brian, it's not you, it's the market. We keep uh, doing a U-turn on some of these Thank stock you. trades today. So it's a very skittish sentiment we're seeing. For instance, we started out the trading day very strong across these markets. We bounced on the FTSE and across on the French market, the CAC to the DAX, right down to the IBEX, was actually traveling up about 1% in Spain. But you can see as those U.S. futures have soured, the market is now... Uh, pulling yesterday's script and effectively doing a U-turn. We look like we would snap four straight days of losses. That's just not the case now as we start to wobble. But it's such a huge risk-on event with central banks this week, not just the Fed, but also the Bank of England and the ECB. So markets are just waiting it out at this stage. And, of course, the news flow around Omicron is just not that positive at this point. So markets giving back territory. Take a look at the sectors. You're seeing a bit of a wobble around the auto sector. That's been one of the weaker parts of the market this this morning, right at the bottom now, media, travel, leisure, technologies, household goods, healthcare, all moved into the red. Don't forget, just about every sector was trading positive at the start. So that is quite a switch we are seeing. Basic resources was up about 1.1%, now up about six tenths of a percent. A lot of deals happening, though. Shares in pest control group Rent-A-Kill are seesawing an early trade after the British company struck a deal worth $6.7 billion to buy the U.S. rival Terminix Global. Shares hit a record high earlier this morning. The cash and stock deal values Terminix shares at a 47% premium to Monday's closing price. So uh, we've obviously seen some movement there. Not exactly the sexiest industry as we talk about pest control. Brian, back to you. Yeah, but if you're making money like we've talked about, boring might just be the new sexy when it comes to equities next year. Karen, thank you very much. All right, now let's hit some of the big corporate headlines for U.S. listed stocks, including a bit of a food scandal for Starbucks in China. For more on that, here's Savannah Hanau. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Happy Tuesday to you. So, Brian, Toyota is stepping up its commitment to battery electric vehicles. The automaker is saying it will have 30 EV models available by 2030. That's up from a previous target of just 15 models by the year 2025. The company adding that 100% of its luxury Lexus brand would be electrified globally by the year 2035. And to help the initiative, Toyota is investing $17.6 billion into new battery tech. Meanwhile, Amazon is reportedly reconsidering plans to bring back its warehouse employee cell phone ban amid the new COVID-19 strain and this weekend's deadly storms that claimed the lives of six warehouse workers in Edwardsville, Illinois. For years, Amazon had prohibited staff from having their phones on warehouse floors, requiring they be put in lockers near break rooms, a rule that's been temporarily relaxed since the start of the pandemic. Separately, Amazon also says it's joining OSHA in investigating the tragedy at that Illinois warehouse as they investigate conditions in the lead up to its collapse. And Starbucks is ordering a full inspection of every branch in China after undercover reporters discovered two locations were using expired ingredients in its food items. The company, which has some 5,400 locations across the country, says it has a zero-tolerance policy on food safety after state-backed Beijing News released video of its investigation showing staffers removing expiration date stickers from some items before replacing them with new ones printed with a later date. Brian, some, some pretty bad stuff there. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, just you know, Scary. Starbucks in China. <laughs> yeah. See if that moves the stocks. Yeah, I, I doubt. I doubt it'll move the stock. But we're going to find out. Savannah, we'll yeah. see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. You got it. All right. 
Now, back to your money, and it is a big day today for the Federal Reserve as they kick off their final meeting of the year. It's a two-day meeting. Their decision will come tomorrow on interest rates. But could the Fed actually begin to raise rates as early as tomorrow? Speaking with CNBC yesterday, Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman says he is in the camp of those who think the Fed should raise rates soon. Rates will rise with absolute certainty. And I think it will happen, as I'm sure we're going to talk about probably sooner than most people Mm -hmm. do. I've felt that for a long time. Um, With that will come more pressure on the economy, more pressure on growth, more pressure on credit, and therefore more pressure on equities. That's a given. But that kind of readjustment back to a more normal environment, not necessarily a bad thing. A small correction here is not necessarily a bad thing. All right. So for more on the Fed and the markets, let's welcome in Stephen Whiting. He is chief investment officer at City Global Wealth. They are also just out with their 2020 playbook, which kept me company last night. Stephen, good to have you on the program. Before we get to your outlook for next year, of course, that will include the Federal Reserve. Good morning. Do you think the Fed will will raise rates, maybe not tomorrow, but at one of its first meetings uh, in the new year? Well, look, I think they have to get through with easing first. And it's not an easy thing for the Federal Reserve to change its policy from month to month to announce the pace at which they would wind down asset purchases and then change it one month later. So I think that they've got to get through with that. That's going to take us into the new year. Lots of people can be upset about the pace of everything. There are lots of things to be unsatisfied with. Uh, And we will see rate hikes. Uh, Certainly, the most important thing is that we are not going to treat any new weakness in the economy with monetary easing. Uh, And we will see rate hikes in the coming year, but we're not going to see it as rapidly as the latest comments might suggest. All right. So let's look at our playbook for next year, which probably will include some rate hikes, to your point, maybe not tomorrow, but down the line. And and you write, I'm going to read, you'll apologize. Uh, The assets that perform best over the next year and beyond are unlikely to be those that rebounded the most strongly in 2021. So what do you see working well, asset classes, stock-wise, whatever, next year, Stephen? Well, just what we just mentioned, the environment for monetary and fiscal policy are changing. The speed at which the economy is recovered is changing. And when we've had peak cyclical momentum, the sharpest recovery in the economy, and that's past the year ahead for share prices, history has been up but it's been less. And it's been led by defensive, not by cyclical industries. Our biggest overweight is in healthcare shares. Um, Staples, beaten down by high commodity prices, underperformed by 20 percentage points over 12 months. Like you said it earlier, boring. These types of companies, again, can give you a positive return well in excess of where we are in yield. Uh, But it won't be the same environment where you had many companies that had a triple-digit return solely because they were in the abyss of COVID and rebounded. Now, beneath the surface, there are secular growth industries. Um, You mentioned some earlier. The largest U.S. tech firms raised their revenue, grew their revenue by 20 percentage points over the last 18 years. So if you're thinking about any day now that this will stop, um, we don't think it will stop. Now, we don't want to be concentrated in the riskiest of tech companies. Uh, But if you think about the highest quality industry leading companies, particularly uh, those that pay a growing dividend, 
you know, we could well, we could probably even uh, get up to a possible low double digit return on, on the best of those firms. Is that is that because, Stephen, the bonds and I saw your, your projections, I mean, bonds, again, they could have a negative return again next year. It's incredible. They will. And unfortunately, this is an environment, again, for the highest quality bond uh, holdings for those bonds, where compared to a decade ago, when the inflation rate was slower, we're now down two percentage points in yield into a higher trend inflation rate. Now, we don't think that the inflation rate is going to look like 2020. And I think, you know, 2020 or 2021, this environment that we've had of upheaval, uh, so there is a lot that's going to change. I think that, again, there was no interest rate that the Federal Reserve could have given us uh, that would have given us growth and stable prices uh, in a period where we've had supply disruptions and fiscal stimulus. Uh, both of those things we think will go away, particularly fiscal stimulus. Stephen Whiting with the outlook for 2022. Stephen, we do appreciate you getting up early for us, as always, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Me. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. All right, we are just getting started, and when we come back, the Elon Musk stock selling spree rolls on as he unloads another $900 million worth of his stock, plus rolling the dice on Vegas. More details on a $1 billion bet on the Vegas Strip, plus why the recent drop in Bitcoin could actually be a little good news for some crypto investors. Let's check down the top laggards for the NASDAQ 100 in the pre-market. A little weakness coming off yesterday, some Omicron concerns, maybe a little tax selling ahead of the new year as well. And we are back at Worldwide Exchange right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Let's go. Stock number one. Well, the same day he was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, new filings show that Elon Musk sold another 934,000 shares of his company, valued at just over $906 million. Musk also exercising options to buy 2.1 million shares at the strike price of $6.24. Musk still has millions of stock options he needs to exercise by August of next year. This latest share sale comes as Tesla's market cap closed by $1 trillion yesterday, the stock is now down more than 20% from its most recent 52-week high. The Beijing crackdown strikes again. This time, it is social media platform Weibo, so I guess that's stock two. That stock sinking more than 9% in overnight trading in Hong Kong after the country's cyberspace administration said the company violated content laws and regulations. 
Weakness across the broader tech space. Check it out the top laggards on the NASDAQ in the pre-market. Hard Rock International agreeing to buy the operations of the Mirage Casino on the Vegas Strip from MGM Resorts for nearly $1.1 billion. Hard Rock, which is owned by the Seminole Tribe of Florida, has plans to build a giant guitar-shaped hotel in its place. So hasta luego la Mirage and welcome in a, a giant guitar-shaped hotel right on deck. We are going to take you to Mayfield, Kentucky, where recovery efforts from this weekend storms are just beginning, and families are just beginning to realize how hard their entire area is truly hit. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines that are happening on this Tuesday. NBC's Philip Menes in New York now with those and more. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Brian. Good morning. The committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has voted unanimously to recommend holding former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress. Meadows has refused to testify, citing executive privilege that was asserted by former President Trump. Before reversing course, Meadows did hand over thousands of documents. The House panel says they want to ask him questions about that information. Members read aloud some text messages Meadows received during the insurrection, including from Fox News hosts and lawmakers. NBC News did reach out to Fox News for comment, but we have not heard back. Meadows spoke with Sean Hannity last night and pushed back against the contempt recommendation. The January 6th committee recommendation will now go to the full House for a vote, which could be held as soon as today. Hundreds of Larry Nassar's sex abuse survivors have reached a $380 million agreement with USA Gymnastics. As part of the settlement, the organization is ordered to make changes in policies to prevent future abuse of athletes, including having at least one survivor on the board. Nasser is serving up to 175 years in prison. And Kim Kardashian has finally passed the California baby bar exam. She announced that after three tries and two years of studying, she aced it. In a lengthy Instagram post, she encouraged fans to keep striving towards their goals, saying, don't ever give up. Even when you're holding on by a thread, you can do it. It doesn't matter who you are, Brian. It's impressive feat there, passing that exam. It is. The, even the baby bar exam is no easy feat as well. Barbary courses and books about like this or online courses, they're all the rage. It is not easy. Congrats to her. Yeah. Philip, thank you very much. You got it.
All right, let's move on to a very, very serious story. A total of 88 people are now confirmed dead, all in the wake of this weekend's tornadoes that tore through six states, leaving thousands homeless and dealing billions of dollars in damage. The rescue and recovery efforts this morning are still continuing, but they are still in the very early stages. Jay Gray joining us now again from Mayfield, Kentucky, a community that was right in the path of the storm. We saw the early scenes Yesterday, Jay, we can see him behind you now. It, this looks like uh, a devastating scene for days and weeks and maybe months to come. Yeah, no, Brian, I think you're absolutely right. Good morning. What you're seeing right now is the undercarriage of a transport van. This massive vehicle tossed on its side by the winds that also uprooted a row of trees in this neighborhood. They've fallen and they're on top of houses, a little dark. You can't see all of that right now. Look, this type of devastation, it's, it's seemingly everywhere here. Overnight, crews repair and restore what they can, an effort that continues around the clock across six states. In some areas, heavy equipment pulling away huge chunks of debris. In others, the process is slower, more deliberate. Teams at times working by hand. Targeted searches and peeling and delayering this particular structure. The search is now over at this Mayfield candle factory, where at least four employees tell NBC News supervisors warned they'd be fired if they left as sirens sounded ahead of the storm. Officials with Mayfield Consumer Products calling the allegations absolutely untrue. We're also now learning more about the heroes that emerged during the chaos. I was like, is everything okay? She said, no, everything's destroyed. Gage Evans' mom, stepdad, and six siblings trapped as their home fell in on top of them. The 13-year-old rushing in to help. He was on a mission to save his family. And he did, carrying his three-year-old and six-month-old brothers through the rain and debris, leading the family to a nearby storm shelter. I said, I'm going to get them. Nothing's going to stop me. A determination Gage's family and so many survivors will need during a long and difficult recovery. Yeah, but look, that recovery work, it can't really start in earnest until the search through so many areas ravaged like this one, Brian, is over. And that, as you alluded to earlier, is going to take some time. It's just such a mess to get through. It's going to take some time. Yes, it will. Jay, what more can you tell us about the effort to find those that are still missing across the region? I know it's tough with every day that goes on. It gets a little tougher, uh, but there's still some hope, is there not? Yeah, no, there absolutely is. And that's what dr is driving the teams that are on the ground here. Teams that are building, by the way, look, they've been working around the clock. And a lot of those who were here right from the beginning obviously just spent. They, they've been going through areas like this that are just uh, overwhelmed with debris. And so they've got others coming in and, and they're bringing in more canine as well. So that should help to speed up the effort. But it, uh, again, it's just something uh, with the magnitude of what's happened here. It, it's going to be difficult at, at times, very slow, very meticulous working through this debris. Yeah. And Jay Gray on the ground in Mayfield, Kentucky. Jay, thank you very much. Tough story there. All right, ahead. Is it a matter of when, not if? We are talking about Apple hitting a $3 trillion market cap. Jeffries laying out the bull case for the stock ahead. Stick around.
stocks, they are flat to down ahead of the Fed. Could we see a rate hike as early as tomorrow? David Katz laying out stocks to buy now, whatever the Fed does. The world's first $3 trillion company. Why, one of Apple's top analysts is still laying out the bull case. And your morning RBI and some good news around relief at the gas pump. It is Tuesday, December 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning, just about 5.30 on a Tuesday. Grab a cup of coffee. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Futures, they are slightly down right now. This coming off declines on a Monday, so we are seeing a little bit of weakness here. Dow futures down 58 points. Don't make too much of that. It is a Fed week, so you're not going to get a lot of movement yesterday and today. Volume might be a little bit thinner ahead of the Fed. And keep in mind, even with a little red on the screen lately, the Dow and the S&P 500 are still higher this month. And remember last week, the S&P had its best week since February and its second best week of the year. So a little bit of weakness yesterday and maybe today, but overall it's been a good run. NASDAQ a little bit weaker than that. And speaking of the NASDAQ, it has been the weakest index in the pre-market. You've got Chinese technology companies among some of the laggards right now ahead of the open. The government there just continues to beat these companies into the ground. Baidu, Pinduoduo, these stocks have been hit hard. A lot of regulatory concerns. What is Xi Jinping going to do? They're just going to come in and sort of, you know, take the companies over at some point. Uh, Pinduoduo, one of the worst stocks in the NASDAQ 100 over the last couple of months. Also, let's get a check on some of the favorite meme stocks. They got absolutely bludgeoned on Monday. AMC and GME both down 15 and 14%. They're down again in the pre-market. AMC, by the way, has lost 55% of its value in just the last 90 days. Ouch. All right, now let's get some more of this morning's top stories, including Congress trying to avoid a default on the U.S. debt. Silvana now is back with that and more. Silvana. Brian, the Senate is expected to vote today on the bill to lift the government's debt ceiling. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer setting that timeline ahead of the projected deadline for the government to reach its debt limit tomorrow. Schumer did not elaborate how much the bill to increase the limit would be. That legislation will require a simple majority to pass the evenly split Senate, sending it to the House where leaders have promised quick action to pass the plan. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley, CEO, says he was wrong on his push to get employees back into offices by now. In June, James Gorman told conference attendees that he would be, quote, very disappointed if his workers hadn't returned to the company's buildings by Labor Day. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, Gorman offered a new outlook on when workers may actually return. We're in a transition period still. Um, I was wrong on this. I thought we would have been out of it by Labor Day past Labor Day. We're not. And I think we'll still be in it through most of next year. Everybody's still finding their way. And then you get the Omicron uh, variant. You know, who knows? We'll have uh, 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 pi. We'll have uh, theta. We'll have epsilon. You know, we'll eventually run out of letters in the Greek alphabet, God willing. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's continuing to be an issue. I just pray and hope everybody gets vaccinated and everybody gets a booster shot. That's our defense. 
And Apple is facing a probe by the Labor Department over whether it retaliated against a whistleblower. The investigation, which was first reported by the Financial Times, is centered around a former employee who was fired in September for allegedly leaking confidential information. She had complained online about ongoing harassment and unsafe working conditions at Apple. The company tells the FT that it is deeply committed to creating and maintaining a positive and inclusive workplace. A story I'm sure will continue to follow, Brian. All right, Savannah Hanal, thank you very much. Well, investigations notwithstanding, the other headline for Apple, of course, is the stock and how it is just dollars per share away from being the first company ever with a market cap of $3 trillion. The key number to watch, $182.86. It hits that number, it's a $3 trillion company. Joining us now is Jared Weisfield. He is Jeffrey's Managing Director and U.S. Technology Sector Specialist. Jared, good morning. Uh, matter of time, isn't it? Apple will be, maybe by the end of this year, a $3 trillion company, will it not? We were so close yesterday, right? We were dollars away of hitting that magical $3 trillion mark that everybody's looking forward to. And it's just remarkable in terms of how fast they've been growing their revenue. I mean, put things in perspective. Last quarter, they grew revenues north of 30% per year, uh, a year on year. And that's with $6 billion of supply constraints in the system. I'm sure we've all seen the semiconductor supply shortages that are ongoing. So despite that, they're growing revenues 30% per year. And their non-iPhone categories continue to grow so quickly. You've got services and wearables together that are over 30% of the business. So they're executing incredibly well. And they've got an amazing product lineup heading into 2022, which we can certainly talk about. But that's been propelling shares closer to that magical $3 trillion market cap. Yeah, I mean, does it matter? Listen, it ma- it's, we're in the news business. I mean, so we love these big round numbers, Jared. As you know, I'll take the knock on my industry. It'll be a big red flashy screen. But should it matter to investors other than the fact that it's just another leg higher in what has been one of the world's greatest money-making machines of the last ever it's just a milestone more than anything else. Should it be part of the investment process? I really don't think so. And this is not something that's necessarily even idiosyncratic to Apple, right, Brian? Look look at all of large cap tech. When you look at MFANG as a category between Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Google, et cetera, you know, those numbers are approaching as a category almost 30% of the S&P, right? So when you look at just the indices across the board in general, you're not actually seeing that much volatility at the index level because all of these large cap companies are so large as a percentage of the index. And we're talking about trillions and trillions of market cap. So it's an amazing uh, statistic if we actually cross that $3 trillion threshold. But as, you know, from an investment standpoint, I think it's just more of a milestone than anything else. Yeah. Well, what's the biggest risk? We always talk about the head, the tailwinds, right? Great iPhone 13 demand. I get it. Everybody, you're in the Apple. Once you're in the ecosystem and all your phones and music are on iCloud and I, you're not moving. So they've got sort of this you know, recurring customer base. What is the risks to Apple? Are there risks to Apple, Jared? Of course, like like any investment, there are there there are always risks. I'd, I'd say the 
the most the, the the top couple of risks from an Apple perspective are probably twofold. One, you're always banking on the success of the next generation. So when you think about iPhone 14 into next year, to the extent that's not as successful, that's always a potential risk. But again, the company has shown such a great ability to migrate the existing install base and upgrade, and you're going to have the new low-cost iPhone, the iPhone SE3 in the first half of the next year. So you, ha you have new product introductions as well. Um, the second risk that I think is certainly worth flagging is everything that's going on within the services ecosystem. As I mentioned earlier, services are 20% of revenues. They've been in an ongoing legal battle with Epic and other companies that continue to uh, complain at the percentage of the take rate that Apple is charging on the Apple store. So when you think about every dollar spent on the App Store, about 30 cents of every dollar goes to Apple. So is there a risk that that high profitable services stream on uh, can see an ongoing take rate reduction? That's definitely possible. Yeah. Google just a few weeks ago announced they were going to proactively cut that revenue stream from 30% to 15%. So that's another potential risk when you think about that high margin revenue stream. I'm sure we will have our Apple $3 trillion caps at the ready here on CNBC. Jared Weisfeld, we appreciate it. It looks like it could be another good year for Apple ahead. Jared, thanks. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right, why don't we move on to crypto, which has also been a, an amazing money-making machine over the last few years. Now, all the major coins are a little higher right now, but still having a tough month. Bitcoin below 48000 and down 25% of the past month. But again, context is key. If you have been a longer-term crypto investor, and by that I mean like a few months or maybe a few years, this move lower could actually be a little bit of good news, at least when it comes to tax time. Robert Frank is here with exactly why. Robert. Well, good morning, Brian. Crypto holders, they have until the end of the month to take advantage of a special tax loophole. Now, under current law, crypto holders are exempt from what's known as the WASH rule. That rule requires investors to wait at least 30 days before buying back a security they sell for tax losses. So if you bought Bitcoin at 65000 and you sell today for or this week for under 48000 you can use that $17,000 loss to offset any gains, and then you can immediately buy back Bitcoin at, let's say, forty-seven dollars or $48,000 to stay in the market. Now, with crypto markets losing over $700 billion in market cap in recent weeks, those losses could be lucrative to offset other crypto or NFT or even stock market gains. Now, all of this is likely to change next year. That's because the Democrats' Build Back Better plan includes a rule that eliminates the wash rule exemption for crypto. Tax advisors recommend investors sell the tranches with the biggest losses or, in other words, the highest cost bases before January 1st, especially if you want to jump into the market and stay in Bitcoin after those sales. Also, Brian, starting January 1st, crypto platforms like Coinbase and Gemini, they will be required to report customer holdings to the IRS. So if you thought you could get away with paying your capital gains taxes on any crypto that you might have either sold or used to buy something that will definitely end yeah. as of January 1st because all these platforms will have mandatory reporting to the IRS. I, I, do, I, I wonder, Robert, because a lot of these platforms are so new, like how long is it going to take to get your, what, 1099, right? Like, I mean, it's going to be like mid-April by the time you... I mean, I got to imagine they've got to staff up to just get out the the data. Yeah, it is incredible to me that we're already at the end of 2021 
and Coinbase, Gemini, all the big platforms, they do not provide their clients 1099. You think about how much of these traders go in and out of these crypto coins. They ship them from one platform to another. They buy and they sell. I mean, how is any customer supposed to figure out for themselves what their cost bases were, what tranches they sold, what taxes they owe without the company's help? It's, it's just impossible. That's why I think the IRS thinks there's so much unpaid taxes in crypto. Part of it's evasion, but part of it's because customers just yeah. can't figure it out. Yeah, and they've got that question now. I've done my own taxes for 20 years. You know, do you or did anyone in your family own crypto at any time this year? And you, yes or no, you, you, when you click yes, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And that time frame to get that done is going to be a lot of, I predict, Robert, a lot of uh, frustrated, shall we say, people. Robert Frank, thank you very much. Think about that, folks. You want to get your taxes in and you're just waiting on that 1099 or whatever. Oh, wow. Anyway, coming up, even as Delta is hitting much of the cold weather states, there is optimism this morning in the fight against Omicron and key findings on the role that boosters may play in keeping you safe. We're going to tell you more about that. Dow Futures off just a touch. We are back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. Now let's get the latest on COVID. And there is a little bit of good news to report this morning. A new real-world study in South Africa shows that two doses of the Pfizer COVID vaccine has given 70% protection against hospitalization. This is an important data set as that country deals with the Omicron variant that they discovered and brought to the world. So again, 70% effectiveness against hospitalization. That is only down slightly from hospitalization rates in the previous COVID strains. Very good news. Now this, the UK reports a death from Omicron. The UK health minister also saying the region is seeing Omicron cases doubling every few days, but this is key. Right now there has been one, one fatality from Omicron. Let's hope that stays low. In the meantime, in China, officials there reporting their first case of Omicron on the mainland here in the US. California announcing it is imposing a month-long mask mandate for indoor public spaces, regardless of your vaccination status beginning tomorrow in a bid, maybe, to try to slow the uptick in COVID cases there. Joining us now is Dr. Vin Gupta, a critical care pulmonologist, a faculty member at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He is also an NBC News medical contributor. Dr. Gupta, thank you very much. Um, Here's the thing. I mean, I understand... Uh, we're talking about Omicron in the media a lot. I, I get it. It's whatever it is. Delta is still the threat, right? I mean, Delta's still ravaging parts of the cold weather states in the Northeast and the upper Midwest. I feel like we've kind of lost the plot there. Thank you for having me. You're, you're exactly correct. We're forecasting here at the University of Washington for everybody that's watching business leaders across the country, 10,000 weekly deaths week over week overwhelmingly amongst the unvaccinated because of the Delta variant. Truth is, Omicron, if you were to be exposed to it and you're unvaccinated, what we know is that it's probably at least as lethal, if not slightly more lethal to the unvaccinated because more of that specific version of the virus builds up in your body, more of it in your body, more likely you are to see me in in a hospital setting. But I'm really glad, Brian, that you pointed out the headlines about keeping folks who are vaccinated 
out of the hospital, even if you're exposed to this variant. Because you're right, we have lost the plot here. It's, it's no longer appropriate to be looking at daily case rates. Looking at hospitalizations is really going to be Thank key, you. especially amongst those that are fully vaccinated. Because what we know is that the vaccines against a contagious respiratory virus, those vaccines are holding up against the thing that they should be holding up against, which is keeping folks out of the hospital. That's why we vaccinated against flu. That's not why we're going to be vaccinated against COVID, not to prevent a positive test, keep you out of the hospital. That's what endemicity looks like. That, that, Dr. Gupta, and there's going to be, if you ever, not saying they have to look at my Twitter feed, but if you do, you'll see that I've been talking to folks like yourself and putting this out there and taking some heat for it. And, and, and people are going to think I put you on because we share that view, but nobody cares what I think. It's what you think. You are the doctor, and I'm glad to hear you say it. Case counts. To your point, when we get into the endemic stage, we don't talk about daily case counts of pneumonia or the flu. And I'm not comparing the two. This is far more serious. But it's like this obsession with case numbers. I, I just I just don't want to die from it. Right. I don't want to be hospitalized or have long COVID or severe outcomes. And some of the data points that we are seeing, it's early on Omicron from vaccines. They're, they're decent. Are they not? Absolutely. They're reassuring. And, and unfortunately, a lot of uh, not CNBC, not NBC family, but other media headlines like to put out there that the vaccines are less effective than they are uh, when it comes to the thing that matters, which is keeping folks out of the hospital. I hate to, to say this to all the viewers out there, but you're not going to necessarily be invincible from a positive test or mild symptoms. We are exposed, Brian, to a host of respiratory viruses every given cold and flu season that we don't even think about because maybe at worst it causes a sore throat, some sniffles. That's what COVID's going to be like. Omicron, Sigma, Theta, well into 2022, whatever is down the pike for us. That's what this threat's going to look like. It's going to be a nuisance for those double, triple vaccinated. Also, by the way, it's important that the CDC, FDA, if they're watching right now, they need to update the definition of fully vaccinated for, because businesses across the country develop protocols and procedures for their for their staff, for their workforce, depending on what the CDC says is fully vaxxed. And if we're pushing the booster because we think that actually you need three shots to stay out of the hospital, then let's call it such so yeah. that businesses can really plan here. And that's that's a key gap. And that, and that is, and, and Dr. Gupta, I know we've got to go. I've got to ask you this very quickly here from hospitalization, right? The, the point is hospitalizations are the key, but do we also need to change the definition of a COVID quote admission? We had a doctor on yesterday saying, you know, and I, my friend is an ER doctor in my town. I talk to him a couple times a week. Half the people coming in for COVID are coming in literally with panic attacks because they get the sniffles and they're terrified that they're going to die of COVID and they have to talk them down in the ER, I'm not joking. You know, I do think that the New York Times, other websites that are constantly uh, presenting case counts, we need to move away from that to uh, how many people are having COVID breakthrough disease you. requiring hospitalization. That is going to be an important metric. In addition to how many deaths are happening, how many hospitalizations are happening amongst the unvaccinated. Those are meaningful data points. Those are the things that we have to keep our eye out on. Everything else is just noise and it's going to distract us. Yep. And thank you, Dr. Gupta. I, I, I know it's super late out there. And by the way, just shout out to your county. I'm going to show my viewers kind of what I look at. And I'm holding up the King County website in, in Seattle, where you are, which the data is public. 
People who are not vaccinated are seven times more likely to test positive, 35 times more likely to be hospitalized, and 40 times more likely to die. The data is publicly available. King County does a great job. Indiana does a great job. Massachusetts. So, Dr. Gupta, you're doing a great job. Thank you very much uh, for, for, for bringing that to us as well, folks. We are back on Worldwide Exchange right after this. Time now for your morning RBI. Today's most random thing is on something that you probably don't find very random at all, and that is gasoline prices, because there is some good news to report, mostly. According to GasBuddy, gasoline prices are starting to come down just a bit, and even more than just a bit in some places. In the Gulf Coast, you know, Texas, Louisiana, whatever, the average is back to below $3 a gallon for regular unleaded. Some other regions, what the government calls the PADS, are in the low $3 range as well. Overall, Gas Buddy's head, Patrick DeHaan, says nationwide prices are down about 12 cents per gallon, which may not sound like a lot, but he says it saves Americans $48 million per day in gasoline costs. Consider that nearly 50 million bucks a day because the price moved just a little more than a dime. This is why gasoline prices are also a political third rail. They matter a lot. So prices coming down is a political win. But here's the not-so-good news. It takes a few weeks for any move in the price of oil to be felt at the pump. So while prices may come down a little bit in the next few days, oil's big move higher last week means that prices will likely not go down and might even go up in the weeks ahead. So bottom line is this. Fill your gas tank up now because you will thank us later as long as oil keeps moving in its higher redirection. Random, but interesting. All right, back now to the markets, looking at another tough day. Investors bracing for some fresh inflation data with the producer price index. Welcome in David Katz of Matrix Asset Advisors. David, welcome. Good to have you. I don't know if it's going to be a tough day, but listen, we were down yesterday, but yesterday, last week, coming off this amazing week. Do you have a 2022 crystal ball for the overall markets? They keep going higher? We do. We're cautiously optimistic, but expect a lot of volatility. Since September, you've had two 5% corrections and then very quick rebounds. We're expecting that type of activity next year. We think there is going to be a change in leadership. Some of the things that have done great this year are going to slow down, and some sectors and industries that have been dogs, we expect them to do a whole lot better. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, we're going to start with one of your stock picks, David. And, and uh, I'll just be clear, it's a homer for our industry. We're owned by Comcast. It's our parent company. It's the only stock that I and others are allowed to own. So I, I'm happy. And we didn't ask you to say it, but you think Comcast is a good bet next year. We think next year you're going to be happy. Comcast is a great example of that. The stock has underperformed significantly this year, though business is very good. Earnings are up significantly this year, and they're going to be up in the mid-teens next year and the mid-teens thereafter. And it still sells at 13, 13 and a half times earnings. Very smart management buying a lot of stock back. We think this is a great opportunity over the next 18 months in a market that's pretty richly priced. Yeah, and you obviously don't feel that Comcast is is richly priced. You think the valuation, again, our parent company, is fair? 13 and a half times earnings. It's, you know, significantly undervalued. And we think there are lots of opportunities like that. It's a market of either haves or have-nots, and Comcast clearly is one of the have-nots, and we think that's going to be some of the best places to make money. Uh, also, in a similar industry, Viacom sells at under eight times earnings. We think they're going to be a winner. And streaming, it pays a 3% yield. Uh, so, you know, those are the type of companies that we think are going to be the best places to make money next year. 
we'd be particularly wary of the very highly priced growth stocks. Anything above 50 times earnings uh, sets off a red flag for us. Yeah. We think you want to stick to lower valuation type companies. And another name you like quickly is M&T Bank. Why? Kind of a bank that doesn't get a lot of love or attention. Uh, exactly. It's done okay this year. They're about to close a uh, acquisition, and we think when they do that, the stock is going to be freed up to do a whole lot better. They just raised the dividend over 10%, sells at about 11, 12 times earnings. We think they benefit by higher rates. Uh, we think higher rates are a certainty in the upcoming year. A uh, very good loan portfolio, very attractive valuation. Financials are one of the few groups that did very well in 2021 that we're expecting a repeat in 2022. M&T Bank, Viacom, and good old Comcast. Three picks heading into 2022. David Katz, really appreciate you coming on again. David, always appreciate your views as well. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Take care, David. Thanks, Bob. Have a great one. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And, folks, it goes so quickly, doesn't it? But don't worry. We will be back here tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Same bat time, same bat channel. Squawk Box, the gang, picking up the coverage next. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.